for me, financial inclusion is just kind of helping to get equal access to the system, regardless of how much money you have or like kind of what your lifestyle looks like. You should still have products and services available to you at the same kind of level of ease. Stellar community, welcome to another episode of the Stellar Podcast. Uh, I'm very excited today. We have my colleague Lisa Nestor in the house, as it were, uh, to talk about what she works on at the SDF as part of our efforts in this podcast to uh, create a bit more transparency to what's going on behind the scenes at SDF and the different individuals. We've um, done a lot of hiring in the past year or more. So there's lots of new faces as well as lots of old faces that have been around for a long time and creating some transparency and exposure to uh, what those individuals are working on, what they're passionate about, and what role they play in the mission and vision of the SDF as well as um, developing Stellar. So Lisa, welcome. Fantastic to have you. Uh, Very much looking forward to hearing what in the world you do at the Stellar Development Foundation because you, unlike many, I've actually been here for quite some time. I have been. That's correct. I am. I I like to say I'm one of the more tenured employees <laughs> on the SDF. But uh, yes, since the summer of 2016, I'm actually wow. coming up on my four-year anniversary in just a couple of weeks. That's incredible. So yeah. so walk us through that. Obviously, uh, you weren't born four years ago, so you have a history beyond <laughs> beyond Stellar. Um, so maybe talk us through some of that and how you got involved at Stellar and ultimately, primarily why you're at Stellar. Sure. Yep. Happy to. And, you know, certainly thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. So I am from North Carolina, born and raised. I spent my first 21 years in, in that state, so didn't bounce around too much. Before then, uh, I went to Appalachian State University from my undergrad. And then from there, I decided to join the Peace Corps. So the United States Peace Corps, where I was sent to Mauritania, West Africa. So that I like to think of as being my first job. Uh, There in Mauritania, I was a small enterprise development volunteer. Mainly that means that my focus area was in business development as a service. And um, so I did that for two years. In that process, uh, kind of got exposed to this idea of financial inclusion. And um, it really inspired me, made me really curious. Um, I just, and you know, while I was there, had some experiences where I, I think I saw kind of firsthand the, the value of financial inclusion. So from my time as a Peace Corps volunteer in Mauritania, I then um, eventually transitioned to India where I worked for a research organization called the Center for Microfinance. So I was there for three years, um, you know, doing essentially research around financial inclusion. Uh, And after three years, you know, it had been about five years living outside of the U.S. So I decided it was time to come back. And uh, I went to grad school at UCLA at the um, Anderson School for Business. So that's when I finally kind of made my transition out to California and the West Coast did business school for two years. And there I actually met a professor who I became quite close with, a gentleman by the name of Bhagwan Chowdhury, 
who also kind of has a passion for financial inclusion. And long story short, a year after graduation, uh, you know, Professor Chowdhury and I were still very close and he was simultaneously um, advising for SDF uh, with Jed and Joyce at the time. And so he started kind of pushing me to, to check it out. I had no idea what blockchain was, had never heard of it before, um, but he introduced me to Jed you know, kind of started reading about Stellar and, and talked to Jed. And I think just because I was so interested in, in this kind of broader topic of financial inclusion, I was game. It jumped in, even though, um, you know, I was still very early in understanding the technology. And so that's how I ended up getting here. Yeah, very cool. When I think of financial inclusion, I think of blockchain, but you came to it afterwards. So maybe give us a definition of what you consider financial inclusion to mean. And then along with that, how does financial inclusion work in a pre-blockchain cryptocurrency world? Um, for me, financial inclusion is just kind of helping to get equal access to the system, regardless of how much money you have or like kind of what your lifestyle looks like. You should still have products and services available to you at the same kind of level of ease. So, um, that being said, it's really complex, right? Like that's why I think financial inclusion is such an interesting topic because, you know, when you go to a rural village somewhere, like there's so many constraints for how you can actually build um, a service there that can be anywhere equivalent to something, you know, like I have in Los Angeles. Um, so it's kind of combining this just like very difficult, practical, like solve a problem in the environment that you are, um, but then also this kind of bigger picture, uh, you know, understanding that, once you kind of open these gates and you let kind of money move in and out of these economies and like help people, you know, get access to this system that, you know, there's, there's so much benefit that's going to come from it. Um, the, but you're certainly right. A lot of financial inclusion is offline. In fact, the, the first project that I worked on um, it's called a village savings and lending association. And so it, you know, it's literally uh, a metal box that has uh, three places where you can put on locks, three distinct locks and three distinct keys. And this is our multi-sig savings <laughs> account. <laughs> um, and so what happens is that uh, in a village savings and, and loan association, you'll you know, gather people from you know, a local town or village or community. Um, you know, the group sizes are typically like 10 to 30. And you will have uh, these groups save their money um, using this metal box. Um, and typically this is used when there's not local bank accounts, right? So in, in my, or local bank services. So in my village in Mauritania, the closest real bank was an hour drive away. It might as well have been six hours away for most people. That's not something you can kind of just go drive to for the day. So in lieu of having a local place to safely save money, um, these types of services work really well. So, you know, a group of people comes together every week or every other week, they all save money. You have a book where you're keeping this record. Um, and basically then you start loaning out the money to, um, group members. So maybe everyone saves and then you loan out to two or three people and those people pay, pay back. And you just kind of keep cycling funds through in this way where you have, you know, a, a secure savings box an account record of what's moving in and out, and then people are just lending to each other. And it's it's really, you know, it's a super simple design, um, but really uh, effective because without these types of services, it's very difficult for an individual household to be able to 
get access to like a lump sum of money at one time. But with something like this, you know, let's say there's just a year long cycle for this, you actually get a lump access to lump sums of capital twice annually now when you take out your loan and then you're repaying it back over time. And then at the end of the cycle, you have accumulated savings. And so this can really like dramatically impact the, the economics at the household level. Now you can invest in a roof. Now you can, you know, have an emergency fund. You can do these certain things that um, were much more difficult to do. So that's a, an example of an offline kind mm -hmm. of non-blockchain financial inclusion project that I think is really cool. And then you just imagine connecting something like that to, um, you know, to an internet network so that now there's a very local service that meets the lifestyle needs and the context of those people, but suddenly data and transactions can be moved, mm. you know, um, or stored in, in a way that makes that little local economy somehow connected to the rest of the world. And I think those are really exciting ideas. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I think it's really important to start at practical real world use cases and then address if and how blockchain technology, the internet can improve those systems rather than kind of doing it in reverse and saying everything needs blockchain, sure. everything needs uh, the internet, and then trying to force fit um, those two things together. Um, you have to start with the, the problem first and then address which tool that exists could actually make this problem easier, alleviate it altogether. Um, mm -hmm. So that obviously leads us to uh, where you are now at Stellar. So maybe describe, define, and then describe your role and then some of the projects that you've been working on, which I assume are kind of along some of these veins of transitioning a lockbox with three physical locks on it to, <laughs> to a multi-sig situation or really uh, expanding what you can spend money on um, beyond just where your feet can walk. Yeah, totally. So... Uh, my role at Stellar is senior strategist on the ecosystem team. And so um, I guess I think to explain what I do, it's a little bit helpful to touch on what I did. So I had the pleasure of working on our partnerships and business development team for my first three years at Stellar. So I spent a lot of time bringing new companies into our network and ecosystem. Um, but at the beginning of 2019, we uh, began to have this kind of really interesting and great, uh, I don't want to say problem, but kind of change in our landscape where, you know, suddenly we realized that we had this kind of um, active ecosystem. We had enterprises and companies um, that weren't, uh, they didn't need to integrate onto Stellar. They were already on Stellar. Um, but we thought there would be a lot of value in, in kind of working with them to help grow and expand their usage of the network. And so um, because of that, that's why I switched over to our ecosystem team. And so, you know, now predominantly I work with, um, uh, you know, a range of companies within our ecosystem, a lot of the core players and help to um, kind of build out or, um, or launch or support their growth and usage of Stellar. So um, I think a, a way that I like to explain this that is a little silly, but, you know, with Stellar, you have companies come on, they launch anchor services, um, but with the transaction, you're always going to have at least two players, typically, you know, a, a kind of beginning and end point, 
Um, we have liquidity that's part of this on the Stellar network. Um, oftentimes there may be third-party applications or, you know, that are also kind of utilizing or, or running these anchor services. So um, I like to think of myself as helping to kind of like bake the pie. We have all of these different pieces that exist and are coming together on Stellar. And kind of one of the last steps is just to make sure that they all get put together in a way that works really well, works really smoothly, and it can just continue to scale. And so, so that's what I get to do. Um, specifically over the last, I would say about nine months, I've been very focused on um, growing our Nigeria corridor. So working with um, anchor services there and helping to support um, uh, payments between Europe and Nigeria, and then also kind of uh, getting more applications or, or other stellar anchors to start kind of like utilizing these services. Um, right now I'm, I'm kind of focused on doing similar things for the, the Brazil market. Um, and then just kind of generally, uh, serving, serving the stellar ecosystem and kind of seeing if there are other types of companies that can, um, provide, uh, support kind of across the board. So, um, my colleague Tomer came up with this, uh, great concept of a minimal viable ecosystem. And, you know, we, on the ecosystem team, as you know, like we can think of that as on, on multiple, on multiple layers. So, you know, there's certainly kind of technical aspects or um, technical infrastructure that we want to, as part of our minimal viable ecosystem, but there's also kind of enterprise layer things that um, if, you know, a company that provides certain types of services can offer that to any company that's using Stellar, you know, there's kind of, um, there's, uh, there's value for everyone that's involved. So I also kind of look for opportunities to bring on those types of partners or bring in those types of deals that can um, provide uh, kind of business layer services that's beneficial for um, companies across the Stellar ecosystem. It sounds amazing and exactly what we need, but I think it can be a little bit abstract. Maybe the analogy of baking the pie is really good, but maybe maybe walk us through a real world use case example of how different actual entities which we have are working together to uh, begin to create this pie, uh, if you will. This pie, this delicious cross-border payment pie. <laughs> <laughs> baked with love um so <laughs> uh yep yeah, so let's um let's just dive into the nigeria example because uh, i think um you know that's that's pretty fresh and, and an interesting one so you know the story of uh our the growth of our nigeria corridor um you know really began i would say about 18 months ago uh a, a prior colleague of mine a gentleman by the name of tunde had uh, worked with uh, one of our, um, our our Nigeria anchor partner, Cowrie Services, um, in the past. Um, but around this, you know, the summer I believe of 2018, we kind of started to notice some uh, some volume around uh, this Nigerian Naira that had been issued on the Stellar network. So uh, reached back out to that team, and um, we were just kind of really impressed with the anchor service they had set up from a technical standpoint. It was, um, you know, really high quality and, you know, the team itself had a lot of vision. It had really great local connections. It could facilitate deposit and withdrawal between their anchor service and, you know, the, 
um, Nigerian interbank settlement system and 30 seconds, you know, very low fees. And so, you know, now essentially uh, what we have is um, a, we'll say, dominant corridor on Stellar where we're sending payments from Nigeria to Europe, corporate payments. And we utilize liquidity um, on the Stellar DEX as well as uh, liquidity from external exchanges hmm. in order to uh, circulate our funds. We're really excited about the, the growth of this. We're doing around half a million a week right now um, in payments across the network for this corridor. And we're also now kind of really pushing to grow our payments the other direction. Um, so we want to now increase payments into Nigeria. And we think we can do that because we have really great rates on the network. Again, we have really fast processing times and low fees. So it's just a matter of kind of finding the right types of customers. Um, I think remittance companies are a great candidate who are looking to um, send payments from Europe or the US, for example, into Nigeria. And as we're able to do that, we'll be able to balance out our flows even more and, and kind of grow this corridor more and more. And then as a next step, we're looking to do something similar for the U.S. market. So sending payments from Nigeria to the U.S., um, as well as hopefully a couple other corridors like the U.K. and Canada. A big part of this process was also the development of SEP31 um, as a new ecosystem standard. So I think, you know, that's important to flag because it was really critical for this process. When we started, you know, I said we kind of hacked together our first flows. Obviously, KYC, um, know your customer um, regulations and anti-money laundering regulations are really important, a part of cross-border payments. And so, you know, we when we have a distinct sender and receiver, a business in Nigeria and another business in Europe, you know, we need to have a lot of care and making sure that these um, details are shared uh, between the two entities and kind of um, processed in, in the right way. And so, you know, we started using SEP24, which is a very common SEP standard. Many of your listeners probably are, are familiar with, and it worked, but it wasn't ideal. Um, it's kind of more, more focused on having the same person kind of put funds into the network and take funds out. Mm -hmm. And so we worked together with the SDF integration team to develop what is now SEP31, which is basically a more seamless way to have a distinct sender and a distinct receiver and to process that transaction between two anchor endpoints. And it's great because now this is something that any new anchor, any new company can take advantage of and they can launch this style of payments even faster. Um, so, so that was another really important part of kind of scaling up this specific payment flow. Yeah, definitely important to call those kinds of things out because ultimately Stellar is not a bunch of isolated entities all operating only within their own interests. The whole idea is interoperability. And Absolutely. the way that happens is through uh, Stellar Ecosystem proposals where we're all talking about and deciding on standards by which similar entities can interoperate with one another. Um, so yeah, a critical point of making these things work um, and allowing other entities to jump right in because they know that if they plug in uh, to the same socket, if you will, they'll mm -hmm. get the same power and access that everybody else has. Absolutely. That is how you ensure we deliver a truly open financial network, in my opinion, by doing the hard work up front to set standards that really um, allow for yeah people to plug and play and kind of easily access everything on Stellar. 
Yeah, very cool. So that's uh, something that you've been working on in the past that uh, recently has really been coming to fruition. What excites you about the future? What is what has recently been coming out and uh, what's coming up on your radar that you're super excited about? Um, where do you see the future of Stellar going over the next uh, the next year or so? Yeah, it's really exciting. Well, um, you know, I I guess I'm I am really excited about building out our um, Brew Corridor. We have some really fantastic partners there, and um, you know, I think uh, you know there's just going to be a lot of growth around um, kind of remittances to that market. But I think if I'm going to take like a bigger step back, something that really excites me about the network now is um, the number of apps and kind of products that I see starting to use anchor endpoints and assets on Stellar. And, you know, I also think that that's a really important metric for our ecosystem. Um, so I'm lucky enough to get to do an onboarding session for all new employees um, uh, at SDF. And uh, as part of this onboarding session, I, I always show this slide. And I say this is a really important slide. Um, and it looks like a, kind of like a food pyramid, if anyone's familiar with that. Um, and, uh, but the layers are a little different. I'm not talking with carbs on the bottom layer. <laughs> um, instead, um, I kind of explained that, you know, Stellar, um, Stellar's value isn't just this blockchain, right? That's, that is a fundamental part of the value proposition, but Stellar's value is really much more layered than that. There's really this kind of ecosystem, um, that, is what someone is, you know, kind of using when they say that they're gonna gonna use Stellar. And by that I mean we have this blockchain network, this, uh, you know, uh, the the fundamental technology layer, which is then, um, you know, the layer above that is you have these kind of anchor services um, and various assets in the Stellar ecosystem. And this allows you know, money to move in and out of the network. Importantly, it allows the money people hold in the world today, like currencies, for example, to move in and out of the Stellar network, allowing those people to get the benefits of this technology. But then even if you have the best anchors and assets in the world, you still need good liquidity, right? You need good markets. So that um, if you really want to you know, do a cross-border payment, you get good rates and, you know, you can actually do that. Um, so, you know, so now the layers are the blockchain layer, the anchors and the, the assets, and then the liquidity on the network. And then once you have those three things, you can actually start building third-party products, right? Um, that are just consuming those anchor services and the liquidity and the assets. Um, they don't have to be an anchor endpoint themselves. They can just be you know, um, a team of three developers somewhere in the world that kind of want to launch a product that that is consuming this network anchor services and liquidity. And so I've seen growth in the number of those types of projects, those kind of like third party app hmm. um, style projects. And that's really exciting for me because I, I see that as being something that can really lead to exponential growth. Um, and uh, I think it shows that we're really starting to deliver on this ecosystem value proposition, right? Like it really is starting right. to come, come true that, 
you know, I can think of a really cool product and kind of build it and allow my users to start holding value or moving value around the world um, without having to be this licensed financial institution, without having to set up all this infrastructure myself. I can just do an integration onto Stellar and move forward. So that is very exciting for me. And I think where we're going to see a lot of growth over the next year or two. Yeah. And it's a really important um, structure, I think, the pyramid, understanding that there is a there's a trajectory here. It's not it's not necessarily, I think, a chicken or an egg, like we're not going to do anchor services unless there's users. It's no, we need anchor services first, and then we get users on top of mm-hmm. that. But really understanding, um, ultimately, like, if you don't have value on the network, there's nothing to do. Like there's nothing to move around. And so you have to have an anchor service that allows you to move actual value that you already have and put it into a digital format. But once you have that, now what do you do with it? Cause totally. you're not just gonna pull it back out. Like you actually wanna make transactions. I mean, it's, it's that idea that if I have $10 I have that $10 and I've got 10 friends. We don't need anything else. Like we can just continue to circulate that $10 amongst us as we all do each other's chores and buy each other pizza and stuff or whatever. But somehow you have to get that $10 in before you can start to circulate it. And and with Stellar, you have that same scenario where first we have to get value in. We have to move money into the system. But once we have money in the system, now we need to actually create services around moving that value around. Um, Both of those things are necessary, but one does come before the other. Because if I can't get value in, there's no reason to transfer these things. There's nothing to transfer, nothing valuable anyway. But once you have that, then you start to see all the apps moving that value around in different ways. Um, But both are distinct and both are valuable. And it is really cool because you start to see, ah, we're finally starting to see some maturity here in the system. Mm -hmm. We're finally starting to see some methods for moving value in and now that that value is in we're starting to see companies build on top of that and allow the transfer of value uh, totally which is which is super exciting as people recognize that and begin to build services um which i'm gonna i'm gonna tee up dstock for you to kind of close this out um talk a little bit about uh dstock which recently we did a we did an episode with um and you were a huge player in getting them onto the system um but one of those platforms that really allows the transfer of value. Not, I mean, they're not a, they're not an anchor, but they're allowing the transfer of value, which is super exciting. And they're not a small player. They're a, they're a mature, very well built uh, application. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I'm. You're totally right that DStock is a great example um, of exactly what I was talking about. And uh, I'm super excited about their their product and launch. So. Um, you know, DStock, DStock is tokenizing some assets on Stellar. They're tokenizing securities. Uh, however, they're then a consumer of anchor services from around the world, right? So, um, yeah, it's, you know, basically they're, um, you know, the, the DStock value proposition is to enable um, the purchase of U.S.-based securities um, anywhere in the world and at price points that uh, are accessible um, to really anyone. So, you know, the ability to buy a dollar worth of Apple stock, for example, um, and start, um, you know, essentially having access to these super high quality um, assets uh, for people anywhere and all over the world. So 
they are um, getting ready for launch here at the end of June. And, you know, they uh, have plans to launch in Nigeria uh, as one of their initial markets, which I'm super excited about. And this is another example of, um, you know, uh, what I think is very exciting when we see people kind of consuming really great existing anchor services and Stellar. And, uh, you know, a couple other markets as well. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I, I think we're all like kind of holding our breath to see mm -hmm. what the other side of this is like. But um, I think what's really exciting about DStock is that they're both using Stellar in a really exciting way, um, both tokenizing really interesting assets, um, also, you know, using anchor services. Um, but they are also building this super user-friendly you know, relatively simple, uh, you know, app for users that is providing a complex value proposition, but in a really simple way and totally abstracting from this is a blockchain and this is a token and you're using an anchor service, you know, it's, um, it's a sophisticated, but still very approachable product um, that has the potential to be used in so many places around the world. So I'm just really excited about, um, you know, both kind of getting out the door and seeing the launch move forward and then just watching the the growth as well. Yeah, absolutely. I was, I was blown away, uh, when I uh, did the interview with, um, with them a couple of weeks ago, just amazing service with an incredible vision. I think they really understand their users. They understand the technology fantastically, but if you don't also and equally well understand your users, you're going to fall flat. Um, yep. because users are not they didn't build the software. They don't get that piece of it. So you have to understand mm -hmm. where they're coming from to build something that's actually usable. And they do. So I'm very excited as well. Absolutely. Well, this has been fantastic. I appreciate you coming on so much. Uh, lots and lots of good content time, here. Uh, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate you appreciating me. Uh, hopefully we'll, uh, in the next uh, you know little while, we'll have you back on to talk about all our successes in yep. the ecosystem team around these things that we've uh, we've been talking about. Absolutely. So thanks so much for, for jumping on. This was really good. Thank you. Have a great day. For more information about Stellar and the future of decentralized finance, visit Stellar.org. And get involved in the discussion in one of our active communities on Keybase at Stellar.public or Stellar Stack Exchange. Until next time, I'm your host, Tyler Vanderhoeven. We'll catch y'all later.